Uh, a little later, uh, we'll sort of return to our pattern that we've had the last couple of weeks, which is uh, to look at one of the texts from the lectionary, a text that communities around the world are all looking at today, and then uh, we'll come to the table. Uh, but before we do that, I actually wanted to do a bit of a debrief, a bit of an open floor on what's been going on uh, in this community over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we've come to the table through a couple of different angles. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about the paradox of Christ and cross. So there's this moment with Jesus' followers where they get part of the picture and they understand just enough of what's going on with Jesus to completely miss what's going on with Jesus. And so Peter says, like, you are the Christ, like, you're, you're the anointed one, you're the one with all this expectation that we've been waiting to have fulfilled, you're the one who represents the agenda of God on our behalf, you're the one who's here to help us and deliver us and get us out from this arrangement that's been really hard for us, you're the one, right? So Peter says that. And, and, and Jesus doesn't deny that, uh, but he turns down the volume on it, and then he starts talking about the suffering that's waiting for him uh, as he goes to the cross right around the corner. And the disciples have a hard time with that. They resist it because they want part of the picture, but they don't understand the whole picture. And there's, there's another scene there uh, with uh, two of the followers of Jesus whose mother comes to Jesus, and she seems to get that Jesus will be exalted, that, uh, that he's He's rightfully called things like king and lord, and so there's a kingdom image there, and she says, when that happens, I want my boys on your right and left. Like, I want them to be in on all the good stuff that's right around the corner. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for, because if you want to be with me in this, there's, there's actually hard things ahead. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they say, we are able. And we talked about the harder things two weeks ago. Um, and that maybe that, that week, to, to come to the table would be to say, with a little bit of bravery, yes, Jesus, I, I want to actually face the harder things. They may be circumstantial or internal, but I actually want to go with you into the harder things because it's possible that the liberation that we are looking for is actually waiting for us in the center of the things that we are running from. So that was two weeks ago, and we said that maybe coming to the table is a way of saying, yes, Jesus, I, I want to go into the harder things with your help. And then last week, uh, we talked about the temple cleansing moment. And uh, it's funny, that's actually one of those, I was listening to the podcast, I, I always do game tape after I preach, you know what I mean, like you go back and make sure you don't make a fool of yourself. And so I was listening, I had actually had a couple of moments where I was like, oh, Jason, kind of really went for it there, okay. Um, but we talked about the fact that like Jesus gets um, really like violently angry when he sees people who have positioned themselves on the threshold of other people's approach to God. And they position themselves in a place where they think they get to charge a fee or establish their own approval or keep that gate between people and their experience of God in their lives. And he, he, he sees the need to like cleanse that space and to announce a kind of prophetic judgment on anyone who would situate themselves on the thresholds of our approach to God as if they're the ones who get to stand between the generosity of God and us. And we asked last week, is there any temple cleansing that needs to go on in your life? Is there a voice or an experience or a community or something, maybe from your past or your present, that has set itself up in your experience of God as like you have to pay their fee, you have to go through their approval to get God when God is giving God's self generously without regard for the gatekeepers? Is it time to like 
kick them out. Like, just be done with them and let Jesus do some temple cleansing. So that's just a refresher of where we've been for the past two weeks. And I'm curious uh, if we do a bit of an open floor here. If anybody wants to share with this community specifically something from, from their experience of Jesus' table in the last couple of weeks. Is there anything like you felt, anything that you've brought to the table that you'd want to share with us? Uh, I know this could be kind of a tender uh, thing that you've experienced there. Uh, and I don't mean to like probe that if you'd like to hold that privately, but at the same time, maybe some of you would like to just tell us a little bit of what's been going on one of those weeks, one of those approaches to the table. Anybody want to get us started? Let me summarize. I'll, I'll keep interrupting you so I don't forget and get it just right. So Katie had something crazy come up when we talked about the vendors, the people who are preventing you from getting through to the temple. So this thing that just like popped up for her that she didn't expect that like you weren't looking for it it sounds like but it just came up uh, was about your dad. Uh, you don't respect your dad. He's, he's not a person who has your respect but for the longest time he's been telling you you have to have that kind of relationship with him in order for you to get God for you to like like this kind of Bible language stuff about parents and kids and all that and he's been kind of holding that over you it feels like. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, now, it's now it's more subconscious right. So, yeah, so, and then uh, Christian school upbringing, just Christian environments, it sounds like your whole life, and this list of things like read your Bible every day, pray every day, memorize scripture so you can pray them out loud every day, all that stuff, that, those are the things you have to do to get God, and that if you're not doing them, like I think I hear you saying, like you realized by not doing them, you had sort of resigned yourself to the idea that then you don't, you don't get God. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Those two things, like bringing them up was immediately freeing. It just, wow. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So at the beginning of Lent, she wanted to give up something that would make space in her life, something we've been talking about as a community. I gave up something really, really hard. She gave up something really hard. I gave up radio. Gave up radio, yeah. Which um, made my car really, really quiet. Which made her car really, really quiet. So the beginning of the line, it was like, what am I doing? This is really hard. I don't want to just sit with my thoughts.
So, so as she's grown further into this practice of silence, a new prayer has emerged for her, which is she doesn't want to become a gatekeeper. You want to lift people up, not put them down. And, and that's what I'm working on. That's what you're working on. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so coming from a Catholic tradition, this Lent for Mara has been more about process than the content. With the radical or, or the hospitality. Radical hospitality, thank you. Everyone, Being yeah, welcome. everyone welcome. Um, and, and I think, you know, just, just thinking about Lent as that journey to, to not just Easter, but also, but also Holy Thursday. Mm-hmm. Let me catch that much. Uh, so Mara mentioned um, that she's thinking about this Lenten journey toward not just Good Friday, but also Holy Thursday, something called Monday Thursday, which is um, that same Holy Week where the church turns specifically to the meal that Jesus had with his friends, which is where this meal gets established for the church, right? And uh, Mara mentioned, like, um, there's a conversation with a friend about, well, how can you take communion with this community? Because, like, there's doctrinal questions, like, Theologians talk about consubstantiation and transubstantiation and all these different ideas of what's happening in this meal. And so that, that was sort of in the background for you, right? But you were saying... Um, but, but just, again, that, that that's not how Jesus that, is. That that's not what Jesus is hung up on? And that's not how Holy Thursday was. And that's not how Holy Thursday was. So she was getting challenged, like, like first of all, you, you're feeling like, no, like, we don't get to say you get Jesus and you don't get Jesus. And even, like, some friends pushing back, freaking out about, like, wait, like, lay people, which is a word for people who don't have my job, like, get to, get to like, be a part of the communion thing, or, like, you go get your own, and, and you feel like you're saying, like, yeah, Jesus seems to be really generous with himself, right? And that's a new understanding. That's a new understanding. Through Lent, through that Lent of, yeah. Of and through Lent and through Holy Thursday and all that, that's new for Mara as she's thinking about it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last week was really powerful for me because I didn't realize all the labels I kind of took on and the words from other people in the church to yeah. gatekeepers in terms of, you know, as a female, there's certain things I can't do. Mm. Racially speaking, there's certain things, mm-hmm. certain places I wasn't welcome to. And I'm just a general odd person. So, you know, that just <laughs> kind of throws people off. Yeah, let me get that far. So last week she said it was really powerful for her. She didn't realize all the labels that maybe she had taken on from religious experience or community. And so uh, as a woman, like, she, like you're realizing, yeah, you have been told like there's ways that you can't work, you can't, you can't lead. Racially speaking, like there's places where you may not feel welcome. Um, what was the last part of that? Oh, I'm odd. So, you know, oh, and she said she's odd is what she said. <laughs> so it's hard to feel really welcome. 
And she just felt welcome last week. Wow. Awesome. She said a lot of things that she might have put on God, she's realizing weren't God. They were people who would put those things on you, and to be able to clear that out was really powerful. Wow. Thank you. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move forward. Uh, I just want to offer a brief meditation on one of the texts from uh, the lectionary today. We're just going to kind of move through this for a few moments and, and then come to the table. So we've been looking at the Gospels from the lectionary, which is, you know, the lectionary is this thing that sort of breaks down the scriptures and helps communities around the world be, be studying the same text from week to week. And so you'll have the Gospel, which is the actual story of the life of Jesus, but then you also have other parts of the scriptures. This is one of the letters in the New Testament uh, that was written uh, to Jesus' followers after the time of Jesus' life. And this is where the church is like working out all these messy questions about how to be uh, in tune with the experience of Christ that they've had that's called them into this new kind of life, right? So uh, I'm just going to start right here with Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And before I read this, I just want to acknowledge there are some heavy, hard words in this text, but we're going to work on that a little bit together, okay? Uh, here's where we begin. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. A little more there, Ryan? Or is that, oh, sorry, no, that's it for that one, thanks. Um, okay, so here's a picture of an experience of life that's pretty difficult, I think, right? Like we have some hard words here, transgressions, sins, cravings of the flesh, object of wrath. Like that's, that's like hard, heavy language. And I'll just be honest, like the starting point for me is like the temptation. The more I understand the kind of baggage and wounds that people carry from bad religion, the more I find myself wanting to shy away from language like that because I know that words like that have been used to hurt people, to lord things over people, to abuse people. Like that's an actually real experience. People aren't making that up or pretending. Like I, I, as a pastor, I keep learning. That's real for a lot of people. And my temptation is to want to just sort of like move on from the discomfort of some of these kinds of words. But there's a couple of problems with that. And the first one comes from Ikea. <laughs> Anybody ever bought anything from Ikea that you had to put together? Yeah, yeah. This seems like an Ikea kind of crowd. You're my people. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap and sexy for about six months and then it falls apart. Awesome. Yeah, so, um, so, so I, I buy this Ikea thing for my house, which is, uh, it's just a whiteboard. I just want to put a, a thing on the wall so I can put ideas on the board, right? It seems like it's about three pieces. Like, how hard can a piece of glass with a backing on it be to put on your wall, right? And of course, like, you know where the story's going. So I, I bring the thing home, and I open the box, and there's a bunch of pieces that make no intuitive sense to me whatsoever, you know? And then I see this folded-up piece of paper, and I think, oh, thank God, there are directions, right? And so I, I, I have all the pieces on the floor. I'm like, I'm there in, in my little home office room, and I got all the pieces, and I, and I open up the thing, you know? I'm looking at the pieces, and I'm looking at the thing. And I look at the pieces, and I look at the, the piece of paper, and, and like it doesn't line up. Like, there's complexity here that's not like sufficiently addressed on the page. There are pieces in the box that don't seem to show up anywhere on the page. Or between steps three and four, there seems to be like, like, a, 
like an epistemological gap, like they seem to have forgotten to tell me what happens between steps three and four, and I'm down there on the floor, and I'm literally saying to myself, I have a master's degree from the University of Notre Dame. I will not be defeated by Ikea, you know, like, and eventually I do what I always have to do in those situations, like call my dad and we figure it out, you know. <laughs> I tell you that because it's a story about a reality which is complex and a document that fails to address its complexity. And my fear would be that if we jettison the uncomfortable parts of the scriptures that speak of sin and transgression and all of that, we will be left with a document that actually fails to address the reality that we have our hands on every day. Right? I just listened to a conversation between Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, who's a really fantastic writer and who often writes about the experience as a black man in America. And he's uh, having this long, really interesting conversation with a guy named Mark Marin on a podcast called WTF. I can't tell you what that stands for. Uh, but it's, it's a really, really great conversation. They talk about a lot of things, but late in the conversation, they begin to talk specifically about the kind of racial injustice and racial experience that Ta-Nehisi is describing in his writing. And then they talk about the experience of women that's being expressed through the Me Too movement. And they're talking about uh, the kind of writing that speaks to all of that. And then Ta-Nehisi, he's sort of reflecting on the fact that people may not want to read that kind of thing. But he says this, he says, something is being revealed about humanity. And he's not saying something aspirational or beautiful. He's saying something is being revealed about humanity. And that phrase just like leapt out of the podcast and grabbed my ears because it actually sounds quite biblical to me. <laughs> something is being revealed about humanity. And while I'm, I'm sincerely sorry if words like transgression and sin, cravings of the flesh, if that stuff's been used poorly, if it's been thrown at you or used against you, um, you need to know that like, those words were not used truthfully then. They weren't used uh, the way that I think they are meant to come into our lives. But I don't want to step away from them entirely because we don't have to live long or look around very much to discover a world that is grappling with the experience described in the first part of this passage. That, um, that there's a current in the world that seems to carry us and carry the world towards things that aren't good. There's like entropy or gravity or evil or even like a word like sin might be appropriate to describe so much of what we see and grapple with in the world today. And this Ephesians passage, it begins with a picture of that. And it's not just out there, but it's something that, that we have to reckon with in our own sort of lives. And I feel like if places as sort of uh, like secular or whatever you want to call it as a Mark Maron podcast called WTF are having an honest reckoning with that, then surely the church shouldn't like abdicate our part in that conversation. And we should talk about that for a little bit. And so let me read the scripture again to you. And let me just invite you to ask yourself, what if this is being spoken um, not to hurt you or abuse you or to push you away or call you out, but as a picture of a universal experience that we're all better off to reckon with on our way to the table today? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is I know it might sound like kind of strange language here. The writer here is clearly thinking of Satan, like a, an evil spirit um, that has a kind of dominion in the world. Um, but if that's weird for you, if that doesn't work for you, I think you could at least start with like, there's at least something in the water, right? There's, some, there's something sort of systemic that seems to like carry things in the wrong direction, right? The spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, that's not the only picture that Ephesians gives us, though. There's another picture that's painted. It's right after this. Let me show you this. But God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace here, like a word for the generosity of God. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's a little more here. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then one more. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, some of that language might feel a little esoteric, like seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Um, this is a writer in a time and a place where heaven was thought of spatially, right? Like, like heaven seems to be like another space where God dwells, and it might actually for these people like be above, right? Uh, but the deeper truth of that image is that there is like a realm, there's a realm where God's reign is intact, where the, the, what God wants is what happens. And by the way, God wants flourishing and life and love. And the second picture is saying there's actually a movement from that first picture to the second where we find ourselves invited into the realm of God, into the reign of God, where you are actually living in communion with God in a way that's making us alive and not just doing in us, but like through us, the kinds of things that God wants to see in the world, which is life and goodness and truth and beauty and flourishing for us and for everyone. There's a second picture here which says that's actually available. That's what God is doing in Christ. And you may have even had the experience of moving from the first picture to the second. Like that's actually something available to us in the here and now. And there's a hinge point between the two, and I've deleted it because I want to I hold it out for a second. What, what, like what is this predicated on? If there's a picture of our lives and of the world that's falling apart and breaking, and if there's a picture of our lives in a world that God is making where things are the way that God wants them to be, what is it that moves things from one scene to the other? Well, it's just a few words in verse 4, right in the middle between these two pictures, and it's this. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Why, why would God act upon us with language of sin and transgression? Why would God make available to us his, his reign, a realm which is good? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Rich here is an interesting word. Let me show you how this breaks down in the Greek. Uh, next slide. Rich uh, comes from the word plusios. Drop that sometime in a party if you want. Plusios, uh, there's two etymologies, two sort of origins for this word that are contested, but one of the etymologies is that this word comes from the Greek for full of. Full of mercy. Because of his great love for us, God, who is full of mercy. Now, um, it's interesting because I feel like sometimes the way, like, supposedly, like, quote-unquote gospel is preached, things like mercy and love can begin to sound like brief exceptions in the character of God. 
Have you ever felt that way? Like somebody's harping on what they're describing as good news, but if you're really paying attention to what you're hearing and how it's working on you, it may have developed within you a picture of a God who is full of something besides love and mercy. And that, like, that, that, that sort of, like, the, the essence of God's character is other things. But somehow, thank God, there's a moment when he has a good day. And a little bit of mercy leaks out, just enough to get us from one picture to the other. But that's not actually what's being described here. This is describing a God who's full of it. Like, what is the nature of God? And by the way, if God's not a word that works for you, that's okay right now. We could bracket that. I would just ask you, like, what's the most enduring and ultimate reality that, that energizes the world that we see right now? Anything that's alive, anything that's moving forward, what is pushing it forward? What's making it what it is? And this is saying the picture of that is God who is full of mercy, full of love. And I, I wonder if that's actually the picture that we have of God. And I wonder if in moving from Words like sin and transgression and cravings of the flesh to words like heavenly realms that are welcoming us into the space where God has things the way that God wants things to be, where there's flourishing and truth and goodness and beauty. I wonder if in that movement we have in mind a God who is full of love and mercy, that it's defining God, it's intrinsic to God, it's the very nature of the God that we are relying on to get us from one picture to the other, full of it almost as if there's no room for anything else, right? Like full of love and mercy. I raise that too because um, I have this experience, I have these moments, and I almost feel like they're in my peripheral vision. Have you ever had those things, you feel like if you try to look like right at them, they almost, they're almost elusive, it's hard for you to get your hands on them, but if you kind of keep an eye on them out of the corner of your eye, you begin, you begin to like see something there. I have these moments where I realize just how little of my being has actually learned to trust that God is full of love and mercy. Just how little of my being has actually learned to believe, to actually trust that undergirding the entire universe, that the engine of everything we see that is good, of everything that is alive, the thing that's holding everything together is God who is actually full of love and mercy that love and mercy are more enduring and more true, more promising, more real than any other reality that claims to exist. That love and mercy are more real and more true than any violence that breaks into the world. That love and mercy are more real and more true than any um, picture of a God who is against you, that is coming at you. That love and mercy are actually the things that will never go away because they are intrinsic to God and God is not changing and God is not going anywhere. And it's this God, because of love and mercy, who in Christ is actually inviting us to move from that first picture to the second, to live in the realm of God and the goodness of God. And uh, it's that fullness of love and mercy that I think wants to meet us at the table today. So like I said, just a brief reflection uh, on the text that uh, communities of Jesus followers around the world are turning to uh, before we come to the table. And today I want to invite you to the table. I want to remind you that Jesus was with his friends on that, that night that we call Holy Thursday. And uh, I wonder if Jesus knew that, like, preaching can only go so far. And I can try to paint as many word pictures as I can. I can try to, like, plead with our community to get our hands on this. But word, words only go so far. And so he gives us a, a meal or a sacrament. 
And today I wonder if we would come to the table, we would simply bear in mind the fullness of the love and mercy of God, who in Christ is inviting us from death to life, from the entropy of a world that is breaking to the fullness of his kingdom that's breaking in right now. So uh, let me pray for these elements and then break this bread and then simply invite you forward to the table. Loving God, I pray that these would be for us uh, the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, that they would somehow transcend the merely symbolic and become a sacrament for this community today. That they would be um, more than simply something felt in our hands or tasted in our mouths, but that through the, through the physical thing in front of us that we taste, that you would get to our hearts. And that as we come to the table, we would just hear these words, the fullness of love and mercy. Because of your love, because you are mercy, that you are moving us from death to life. That you are rescuing us from the current that carries things toward breaking and bringing us into the current of your kingdom. And we pray through Christ. Amen. And let me remind you, friends, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Because his love would allow itself to be broken on our behalf. And then he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. It's the promise of the love and mercy of God who continues to meet us and transform us. And he said, take and drink. And so today, if you'd like, you're welcome to get out of your seat. And the band will just sort of give us some background music. And you're welcome to go to one of the corners and receive and thank God for his love and his mercy.
Amen. A brief reminder as you go. Um, first of all, we, we put coffee over here in case you want to hang out, because sometimes that gets a little crowded between the 9 and the 11, but we don't want you to feel rushed out, so feel free to hang. Uh, if you're leaving the parking lot, uh, help us out with a bit of a one-way traffic pattern. You came in over there probably, but if you wouldn't mind leaving out the other end of the parking lot, that'll kind of keep things smooth between now and the 11. And uh, I hope that in the week ahead, you will hear these words in your head, the fullness of the love and mercy of God, that these are actually at the center of God, the intrinsic to the God who is moving us from death to life. Let's, uh, let's give one another these words today. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.